Hey, you're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Each week, our staff meets to discuss one element of the mission, vision, and culture of our church. This portion of the podcast is all about bringing those messages to you. We hope you enjoy this talk from Pastor Tom J.J. Wood. Well, um, there is a a word, a topic, a theme that has been running concurrent. Um, I think it's been said as we've gathered as a staff and we've prayed. Um, And if we're following along with the Advent reading plan, it's a word that keeps coming up um, and that I thought was important uh, to share on this morning. And it's the word peace. And we've been talking about peace in a lot of different contexts. Um, you know, I know different conversations have been happening. I know that there's a, um, a big cry and a big prayer for peace right now in some really difficult situations. So for today, I'm kind of just really thinking about peace as a, a dynamic on the team. You know, about having teams that are, uh, you know, have a culture of peace and an atmosphere of peace. Uh, And of course, peace is uh, a massive theme throughout the whole Bible. We read about that this morning, if you're following along with the Christmas Advent plan, uh, turning some verses from Isaiah. But Romans 12, 18, this is the one that really stuck with me. And this is a verse that um, really hits home for me in its simplicity. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, that's real easy to stand up here and read out to everybody. It's real difficult to get up on a Monday morning or go out on a Wednesday afternoon and live this out as a do all you can to live in peace with everyone. A similar thought echoed in Hebrews 12, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord, but work at living in peace with everyone. And then Matthew 5, 9, this is uh, Jesus in the Beatitudes. We all know this one is that blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And if we're going to be a church, and this is something that was important as I was thinking about this and preparing for today is that if we're going to be a church that is outward focused and that we want to be a church that's reaching out to the community and welcoming people in that have no background in faith, that don't have a history of, of understanding, knowing or practicing kingdom values, but we're inviting them in, we're encouraging people to come and be a part of the community of faith that we're building, to be a part of the church that has a mission mindset that is going out. We want people to come in that don't have a, a churchy outlook on life. We want people to come in. We have to be ready and we have to expect and anticipate and be prepared for that our church will be filled with people that do not value peace in their lives, that do not value peace in their relationship. We see this all throughout the Bible, but if people have no regard for the Bible, if people don't come from a history of looking through the Bible, peace is a concept, peace is something that's out there, but there's no real reason to think that this is a driving force in people's lives. And we see this, and we've seen this in people that we know and relationships that we have and people we care about and the world around us and people we interact with regularly. We see that this is common in the world around us is that peace is absent from so many people's lives. Instead, chaos and dysfunction and backbiting and bickering and all the stuff is all going on instead of there being a sense of peace. So as a thinking today in terms of our teams and the way that we are, the culture that we're building as a church as we're looking to fulfill the mission that God has put on this church, I wanted to think about what it means to have peace. And verse that came to me, and I'm going to read a decent chunk of scripture from James 3. And this really sort of goes through what it's like to have an absence of peace. So ride with me on this one. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find discord and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. 
gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So one of the things that James says there is this idea of being peace-loving. It's the phrase that he uses, peace-loving. And what does it mean to be peace-loving? Well, I would propose that to be peace-loving is to detest all the negative things that James just said. To be peace-loving means that we detest the bitter jealousy that James warns us about. To be peace-loving means that we want nothing to do with the selfish ambition that James put down. To not want anything to do with disorder. And then James, the blanket statement of blanket statements, evil of every kind. If we want to be peaceful, if we have a love for peace, which is what James is encouraging us towards, is to want nothing to do with evil of any kind. To be a peacemaker, as Jesus described in Matthew 5, we should see combating these things as something that is part of being a peacemaker, as part of being a leader within the church, as part of being a peacemaker, bringing peace to our teams and peace to the people that we have influence with and peace to the people that we're trying to serve and love. How do we do that? What is it that we can do to bring peace? Well, fortunately for us, James gives us some remedies. First thing James says, gentle at all times. James says, be gentle at all times. When we have a chance to fight back, let it go. When we have a chance to fix it up ourselves, take care of business, give a swift hand to justice, let it go. The other side of that coin is don't give people an excuse to fight you. Don't give people a reason to want to get on your bad side. Don't give people a reason to want to get revenge on you. Instead, as a peacemaker, be gentle at all times. Now, it's important to recognize that gentleness is not weakness. Rather, weakness is letting emotions get the better of us. Weakness is being overly reactionary. Weakness is taking someone's nonsense quietly and then talking trash about them later on. But true godly gentleness is calming and brings peace. Second thing James says, willing to yield to others. Willing to yield to others, to put ourselves second. Putting ourselves second often means forgiving quickly. Putting ourselves second often means assuming the best when it would be very easy to leap to the worst conclusions. Now this, just like being gentle, doesn't mean that we are a doormat. But instead, it means that we're not driven by selfish ambition or the bitter jealousy that James warns us about. This is not a call to be abused or mistreated, but to stop fighting to get to the top, to stop fighting to get our way, to stop fighting and insisting that we get the spotlight and that we get the applause and that we get the hero. Instead, it's that, no, I'm going to put everyone out. I'm going to put others first. I'm going to celebrate when other people get recognized and other people are honored and other people are treasured. That's what we're going to celebrate rather than fighting ourselves to get to the top. Third thing, full of mercy. Full of mercy. I heard a, a very challenging quote um, a week or so ago by a guy on YouTube that makes videos um, letting the world know that he's an expert. <laughs> but he said something that was interesting. He said, it is immoral for someone to be a Christian and hold unforgiveness. Now, that's a strong statement. And I've thought about it a lot. And despite it being extremely strong, really challenging, he's absolutely right. It's immoral for someone to be a Christian, to live in the freedom that can only come by the forgiveness of God, and then in turn, try and hold guilt over others. It is immoral to embrace the freedom of God for me and withhold it from you. It is immoral. Massive challenge. Massive challenge. And I don't think there's a single person listening to this that has not felt that challenge. But it is immoral 
to be a believer, to put our faith in Jesus, to claim him as Lord, and then withhold forgiveness from others. Oof, what a challenge. Probably uh, the, the craziest example that I can think of about this, and I'm going to guess that if Megan was up here, she would say this is the craziest she, she could think of either. Um, but while we were in New Jersey, uh, our church would regularly go to Maryland for a one-day conference that was the culmination of like a 12-week small group curriculum. It was called Freedom Conference. So this curriculum, it was 12 weeks, and over the 12 weeks, you'd walk through a bunch of junk, and sort of it was an invitation to kind of bring these things to the fore and to have, you know, come bring it into the light and talk about it. And then the conference in Maryland, there was... Uh, a whole lot of prayer sessions that were happening, and it was it was incredible. Things that had just been cooking under the surface for years, even decades, were suddenly brought out into the light. Everyone's crying. It's just a, it really is a wonderful time. But inevitably, the week leading up to this conference, the crazy just goes on overdrive. I mean, honestly, the absolute wild stuff that happened leading up to that week, everybody had a really good reason to not go. Now, if you don't believe in spiritual attack, go through freedom. Get ready for the conference, and the week leading up to it, y'all know all about spiritual attack. It was psycho. But there were two ladies that were uh, in different groups. They were both part of our church. And the week leading up to Freedom Conference, one of them got arrested for grand larceny because she broke into another lady who was going to the conference's house and helped her boyfriend steal thousands of dollars worth of stuff while she was supposed to be house-sitting for her. She gets out on bail and comes to this conference with us. So there's two ladies. <laughs> Megan's here. If I'm lying, I'm dying. There's two ladies at the conference that we roll up with this group, and I grab the pastor of the church, and I was like, dude, you never guess what. He's like, oh, we've had, a, we've had a bunch of spiritual attacks this week. I was like, dude, whatever you got, I got it beat. <laughs> we got two ladies right here. One of them is bawling her eyes out over there because she just had thousands of dollars stolen. The lady next to her is the one that nicked it. <laughs> Full of mercy. Full of mercy. All right, the fourth one. Fruit of good deeds. First one is gentle at all times. Second, willing to yield to others, full of mercy, and then fruit of good deeds. And there's so many things we could say here. There's so many things that we could uh, describe as fruit of good deeds. Plenty of good stuff that we could say, but what are some things that come up as we're thinking about peace and, you know, what James is saying and trying to apply that and trying to, uh, you know, give it some flesh to what, how that works on our team dynamic and what are some good teams that will bring some good fruit that will help us build a culture of peace on our teams. The first thing that came to my mind was minimize frustrations. Minimize frustrations. A good deed that you and I can do, that we believe is going to bring a good fruit. Minimize frustrations. Agree on expectations with each other. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. Agree before we get started. This is how this is going to go. Give people everything they need to succeed. I think it's uh, incredible. And unfortunately, it happens in churches far too often when somebody is, quote unquote, delegated something and then not given what they need to do the job well. Megan spoke about this. It was a number of months ago now, but talking about, you know, just dumping on people. I think that's articulated there is you're not given what you need to do well. And if we're going to minimize frustrations, if we're going to delegate somebody something, if we're going to, uh, even if we're going to collaborate with somebody on something, we need to make sure that we are doing what we can to resource people to do the job well. And then third one, and this is a personal challenge for me. It can be a challenge for you if you want. Communicate better than is needed. Communicate better than is needed. 
I think as a team, we're generally very good at this. Um, and you know, people will question, people will ask for clarification, people will restate what's needed. Um, sometimes people need a picture drawn to sort of really bring home the point. It happens a lot at our house. Megan will draw me a picture. This is what needs to happen. Are you getting it now? And she's not doing it for the benefit of the kids. But anyway, minimize frustrations. Second thing, remember that failure isn't fatal. Remember that failure isn't fatal. Now, all the experts are quick to say that if someone's working in a job or uh, fulfilling a, a responsibility, the feeling of one more mistake and you're done, it destroys someone's ability to perform well. Just that, that, that idea, that sword of Damocles just hanging over their head, if you put one foot wrong, you're out of there. It destroys the person's ability to do a good job. And if someone has a number of warnings, you've probably seen this in a professional environment. If someone's had a number of warnings and written warnings, it's very unusual for someone to be able to bounce back. You know, I, I can't think of an instance where I've worked with someone and they've had a warning and the written warning and they finally get the dreaded, this is the final warning, one more misstep and you done. In every single work situation where I've seen that happen, what has ended up happening is that the person is sharp, they start looking for another job. Otherwise, it's a terrible process of watching the final one come and someone have to lose their position. As we've said many times uh, in staff meeting, conversations, Jesus saying, this is what the leadership of the world is like, but among you, it will be different. For us, failure isn't fatal unless someone refuses to learn from it. If someone is willing to learn from the mistakes, if someone is willing to bounce back, we can figure out a way to continue to work with that person. It is not fatal. If someone is willing to grow, if someone is willing to stretch, we can figure out a way to work through these things. Of course, we're going to make mistakes. Um, everyone except me, that is. Of course, we're all going to make mistakes. Of course, we drop the ball. Of course, different character shortcomings come to the surface. Of course, our weaknesses and our insufficiencies, of course they let us down, of course we let each other down, of course we forget to do things. These things happen, this is a part of team dynamic. But among you, it will be different. Among you, these things are things that we will shower with grace and love so that we can have a team that is filled with peace. Jesus said, if a Roman officer asks you to carry their pack one mile, you go two. If in the world they're willing to give you three chances, we're going to give you six. If they're willing to give you a warning and then a written warning, then we're going to keep giving warnings. If you are willing to grow and stretch, we will keep working with you. If someone is willing to grow, we will work with somebody. It is not this final step. You keep doing it. If that needs to happen. If somebody gets to the point where they absolutely cannot keep working anymore, it is because they have refused to stretch and grow and there's nowhere else that we can have them serve because they are simply incompetent with where they are and they will still leave knowing that they are loved and cared for by this church. This idea of you're done, quickly gone. When someone is desperately trying to stretch and grow and adjust, we will not play that game that way. We will work with people. Failure is only fatal if you don't learn from it. I have a, a friend of mine who, uh, he was in ministry, and he had a moral failure, and I was part of the meetings where we sort of laid out a restoration plan and all those things. He embraced it fully. He embraced it fully. And he's now, he's moved to a different church in a different state. He's doing awesome now. He's on staff at a great church, very happy. Things are going great for him. He embraced that stretch and that growing. He embraced it rather than... My failure is fatal. 
he decided, you know what, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep plugging ahead, and things came out good for him. So, what does it mean to be peace-loving? According to James, being gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy, and the fruit of good deeds. The, uh, if anybody has known me for longer than seven minutes, they'll know that I'm an enormous Beatles fan. And it's, it's not just because I'm British, it's because the music is awesome, but I love the Beatles. John Lennon is an interesting guy. And as you know, a lot of his songs, a lot of the things he would do, a lot of the famous songs, even the Christmas one, War is Over, it's all very like, peace, give peace a chance. All you need is love. The incredible thing about that is that John Lennon as a, as a guy, as a human, he was anything but peaceful. His human relationships were all kinds of tumultuous and up in the air. He had a very difficult relationship with one of his sons. Very strange relationship with one of his sons. There's um, a documentary about the making of the Imagine album in the 1970s, and he's just there, like, yelling and screaming and cursing out one of the sound engineers for who knows what reason. And it's just, this is the guy that's saying, you, you all be peaceful. You, you have peace. It starts in an individual level. It's real easy. I mean, like I say, I love the Beatles. But it's real easy to be John Lennon and say, you, you be peaceful. You be people of peace. Meanwhile, my little life, my little existence, the sphere of influence I have, the people that interact with me on a daily basis, they're not gonna see peace from me. They're gonna know harsh, get it done now. They're gonna know all the kinds of, it starts on an individual level. We are not John Lennon. You can write that down, Mike Chiz. We are not John Lennon. We don't get to just get up here and say, you be someone of peace. You be a bearer of good fruit. You be somebody that is, uh, you know, full of mercy. You put other people first. You. It starts with us. It starts with us on an individual level. Come on, let's pray. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, this idea of peace among our teams. Lord, I pray that we take it to heart. Lord, that we reflect you. We reflect your goodness and your compassion and your mercy. Lord, that you're just second chance after second chance. Lord, your unbelievable ability to work with people in the midst of failure. Lord, that we can know that our teams, the people that serve to fulfill the mission of this church, that we will be defined as people of peace, as peacemakers, that we will do all we can to live peaceably with all people. In Jesus' magnificent name, amen, amen. Hey, we hope that you were blessed and encouraged by today's talk. If you're a leader or a ministry director here at Word of Life, there are tons of resources available on our website. Head to wordoflifeag.org, go to the menu and tap on leaders. We'll be posting new episodes of this podcast every week, so be sure to subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next week.